multitasking does not work. The next important thing is you have to listen to your body, not the clock on the wall. The worst thing you can do is confuse activity with productivity. Dr. Phil, tomorrow starts 2020, the new year, which means it's time to talk about New Year's resolutions. Are you somebody that makes New Year's resolutions? Well, if you are, I'm getting ready to tell you the trick to make your New Year's resolutions stick because I'm betting every year up until now, they've lasted a little while and then gone away. And there is a trick. And I'm getting ready to tell you what it is. And I'm going to tell you how to increase your efficiency in 2020 by 500%. All starting in 40 seconds. Okay, here we go in 2020. I don't know about you, but I am really optimistic about this year, and I seem to have a really clear view of what's going on. Maybe that's because it's 2020, and the suggestibility of the year is to have 2020 vision, to see clearly, have clarity in all the things that I'm looking at. But I really do think that the first of the year Look, it's just another day. I get that. There's 365 days in the year, and January 1st is just like any other day. So why do we make resolutions on this day? Well, I don't know. It marks the beginning of a new year. So if you're going to take stock, if you're going to decide to change something or some things, you know, why not do it at the beginning of a calendar year? I mean, you could do it on July 18th just as well. But since we all seem to observe January 1st, then why not do it now? A lot of people do. And I wrote down some of the people that you may know that made resolutions at the beginning of 2019. John Mayer said his resolution was to be more thoughtful in considering news. Rihanna said, stop shopping and quit being late. Amy Schumer resolved to rally women to support each other. Chelsea Handler resolved to lean into love and take more career risk. Michelle Obama resolved to remember that it's okay to tell people no. Bill Murray resolved to make more resolutions. Marilyn Monroe, back in the day, she resolved to go to acting class every chance she got and never, ever miss. So what's your resolution? Do you have something specific? I'm going to talk to you about why that's important in a minute. And it's okay to have more than one, but you don't want to do a shotgun approach. You want to take a rifle approach. Focus on something and go after it. But here's what I know about resolutions. Most people make them. Between 60 and 70% of people make New Year's resolutions, but only 8% of the people actually keep them. Think about that. 60 to 70% of the people make New Year's resolutions, but only 8% keep them. And you know how long it takes before they break them, before the resolutions fall apart and go away? January 12th. They last an average of 12 days. So that means you got 12 days if you do it the way you normally do it. And so what do people resolve? Well, 
71% of the people resolve to go on a diet. 65% resolve more exercise. 54% lose weight. And they just do that generally. They don't even talk about diet or exercise, just lose weight. 32% resolve to save money. 26% resolve to pick out a new skill or a hobby. 21% to stop smoking. 17% resolve to read more. 16% to change jobs. 15% to drink less. And only 13% resolve to spend more time with their family. So how about you? What's your resolution? What I want to tell you is that you need to pick something that you're thoughtful about and that you have a passion about. And I want to dispel you of one huge myth, and that's the myth of willpower. Willpower is a myth. If you think, okay, you know what? I'm really excited about this. It's New Year's Day. I've got this fresh energy. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it by willpower. I'm just going to gut up and do it. Those are the people that fail by the 12th of January. You absolutely cannot do this by willpower. Why? Because willpower is fueled by emotion. And emotions are what? They're fickle. They come, they go. You're all pumped up now. You're energized. The emotions are running high. You're passionate. But what's going to happen, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now? It's cold outside. You said you were going to jog, but you don't feel like it. Well, that's when the emotions leave you. And so the energy goes away. You just don't have the energy. So if you're not going to fuel it by willpower, then what are you going to fuel it by? Well, you're going to fuel it by programming. You're going to set yourself up for success by programming your environment to support what it is you want to do. Environment is terribly important. And programming your environment so it pushes you towards your goal instead of impedes you in the pursuit of your goal, is critical to your success. Now, think about it. I have said before, I can cure any addiction or break any habit if you give me environmental control. I can cure smoking 100% of the time if you let me control the environment. All I have to do is strap a parachute to their back, take them to the Antarctic, parachute them in. They are cured of smoking. Why? Because there's not any tobacco in that environment. Environmental support. I can get them to lose weight. All I got to do is put them in the forest where there's nothing to eat. You let me control the environment, and I can control the pursuit of any goal. Now, those are extremes, right? So if your goal is you want to lose weight, I'm not going to parachute you or even tell you to parachute yourself into the Antarctic. That's the extreme. But let's think about it in the more realistic version. Why does it work in the Antarctic? Well, because there's no temptation there. It's not a target-rich environment. You're not going to be able to smoke there, eat to excess there, whatever it is, because it's a pure environment. So in the real world, by extension, the more you can clean your environment up of temptation, of opportunity, 
to change it from a target-rich environment to a target-impoverished environment, you're going to have a lot better chance of success. And I'm talking about things that get right down to the simple aspects of life. For example, if your goal is to lose weight and there is a path you follow to go to work every day, you park your car in the parking garage and you walk a certain path to your office that goes through the food court where you smell the food, you see the food, it tempts you because you smell the Cinnabons over there or the muffins or whatever, then just change your path. Go up one floor, go over the food court, then go down another floor. Two things will happen. One, you've just walked two flights of stairs. That's a good thing. Two, you avoided Temptation Alley walking through the food court, which means you programmed your environment to push you towards your goal instead of putting yourself on Temptation Island. Program your environment so it pushes you towards your goal instead of puts obstacles in front of you. If exercise is hard for you and you've tried it before and so you go to work, you get home and you decide, okay, now I'm going to change and go to the gym or whatever, and that has failed you, then take your exercise stuff with you to work and stop on the way home. Because once you get home, it's harder to get restarted, go out and go to the gym. Do it on the way home. Make it part of your routine. As you drive by the gym, all you got to do is pull in. Program yourself. Put it into your schedule. Make it part of your daily routine. Don't go home first. If you want to make it happen, make it part of your schedule. Program yourself for it. And if you want to do it with a friend, don't. Let them do it with you. But don't you put your success pinned to the tail of a friend who's not listening to this podcast and not learning what you're learning. Because your success then is driven by them. They decide they don't want to go, then you don't go. You go. They want to follow you? Fine. But you don't follow them. Do it by yourself. They want to follow you? Fine. And then you've got to understand that, listen, the next year, 2020, is going to go by whether you're doing something about your goal or whether you're not. Think about what I just said. We're sitting here today, January 1. The next 30 days is going to go by whether you get started pursuing your goal or whether you don't. Wednesday's going to go by, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I can promise you, we are not supermen, superwomen. We don't leap tall buildings in a single bound. We make small changes, and small changes add up. Small changes add up. You may think, I'm so overweight, I'll never get this weight off. Well, you know what? The average weight loss when people get serious is one to three pounds a week. So let's just take the average and say two. If you lost two pounds a week for the rest of this year, that would be 104 pounds by this time next year. Think about that. 104 pounds by this time next year. You think about 104 pounds, you think impossible. But it's not if it's just a couple of pounds a week. 
Some weeks, nothing. Next week, it would be three. Next week, it would be five. Next week, it would be nothing. But the average across time, little changes add up to big results. So recognize the time's going to go by whether you're doing something or not. So you might as well set something in front of you and start taking small steps toward it. Look, someday is not a day of the week. Get your calendar out and look. There's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but there is not someday on your calendar. So you're not going to get in shape someday. You're not going to apply for that new job someday. You're not going to ask that person that you've just really been wanting to get to know out to dinner someday. You're going to have to get specific and set a timeline, a deadline. The difference between a dream and a goal is timeline and accountability. And we're going to talk more about how to achieve specific goals in part two of New Year's resolutions. But what I want to talk to you about now is your efficiency, because I want you to be highly efficient when we start pursuing our New Year's resolutions, the goals that we set, the things that we want. I made a pretty bold statement at the beginning of this podcast. I said that I was going to tell you how to increase your efficiency by 500%. 500%. You didn't hear me wrong. I said it. 500%. That's a pretty bold statement, don't you think? Now I'm going to tell you how to do that. I'm going to tell you some things not to do and some things to do. First off, let me bust a myth. And you are not the exception. You may think you are the exception, but you are not the exception. And here is the myth. Multitasking does not work. Multitasking does not work. You may think, hey, I'm really smart. I got a big brain on me. I can look in the mirror and see it. I got a big brain on me. I can do four or five things at one time. I can keep a lot of balls in the air. I'm young. I'm energetic. I'm passionate. I got more balls in the air than a juggler at the circus, and I can keep them all in the air. No, you can't. No, you can't. The research is far and wide. Multitasking does not work. You just simply can't do it. When you do context switching, meaning you go from one subject matter to another subject matter, you reduce your efficiency by 20%. So you're working on one project, and then the phone rings, so you jump to another project. Your efficiency drops 20%. And once you do get to the second project, you have what is called attention residue. It takes 23 minutes on average, for you to refocus to get back to peak efficiency on the second subject matter at the same level you were at for the first subject matter. Now, again, this is really widely researched. So I'm not just making this stuff up. Multitasking simply does not work. Now, let me tell you something else that people have confessed to. 46.9% of the people confess to something called production shame. They admit 
to be thinking about something other than what they're doing. So you're doing one thing, but you're thinking about another. Now, let me tell you why that's a problem. That's a problem because you're dividing your intellect. Think about somebody that's giving a speech, public speaking, and this person has a public speaking phobia. They have anxiety of being in front of a large group. So they're out there in front of the group, and part of their intellect is focused on the message they're delivering, and part of their intellect is focused on whether or not they're succeeding, whether or not they're being judged, whether or not people are thinking they're doing a good job or they're not doing a good job. Are they liking what they're hearing? Are they wanting to get up and leave? Do they need to hurry up because people are being bored? Well, you know what's happening? Let's say this person has 120 IQ. They're smart. They're really well-educated, well-versed. They're smart in the subject matter. But now they're out there giving this speech, and they've divided their consciousness in half. So half is going to the speech, and half is going to their anxiety. Okay, now they're functioning at about 50% efficiency. That means they're giving a speech with about 60 IQ. 60 IQ is devoted to anxiety. 60 IQ is devoted to the subject matter. So what happens now? They really do get judged. They really do a poor job. They really do get bad feedback because they're thinking about something other than what they're doing, and they've divided their attention right down the middle. They've got two voices inside their head. One is saying, people are staring at you, people are looking at you, people are judging you. And the other is saying, here's the message I need to deliver. It's like listening to two radios playing at the same time, but they're on different stations. If you've never tried to do that, give it a shot and see how frustrating it is. See how efficient you are at what you're doing. And I promise you, it won't be very much. You will not be efficient because you've divided your intellect in half. So trust me, multitasking doesn't work. When you switch context, you reduce your efficiency 20%. It takes 23 minutes for you to refocus. And don't be part of the almost 50% of the people who are thinking about one thing while they're doing something else. You know, I see this all the time out in the world. People will be sitting at lunch. Bob will be with Jeff, and he's texting somebody on his phone the entire time. You know what I always think to myself? If you don't want to be with Jeff, if you want to be with whoever you're texting, why don't you get up and leave and go be with whoever you're texting? I see people doing that all the time. They're walking down the sidewalk texting someone else. Then why are you walking down the sidewalk? If you need to communicate with this other person or people, why aren't you there instead of here? You obviously don't have your priorities in order. If you need to be doing something else, go do it. But don't be doing A and thinking about B. So how are we going to increase your efficiency 500%? Well, number one, you're not going to multitask. So you're not going to drop 20% efficiency. You're not going to take 23 minutes to refocus. And you're not going to be thinking about one thing while you're doing another. So here's what you are going to do. 
you're going to focus 100% for two-hour intervals. You're going to focus 100% for two-hour intervals. And here's when you're going to do it. You need to identify your peak time during the day. Now, this is different for everybody, but you need to ask yourself when it is for you. When is your peak time of day where you are the most alert, most efficient, most on the ball? Now, for most people, that's going to be in the mornings. Most people, that's going to be in the mornings. Not for everybody, but most of us are less distracted in the mornings. We haven't been through so much noise throughout the day that we have all of these distractions. So it's going to be in the morning. In fact, the most efficient time, the most clarity that you're going to have is probably going to be right when you first wake up. Now, you're going to have a lot of things that you have to do at that time in the morning, but there's an alpha state that we're in when we wake up in the morning. We're not quite awake, but we're not quite asleep. And there is a moment of clarity there where there's no external noise. Now, Stephen Kotler worked with a large group of executives and found that most of them had their greatest productivity times in the morning. And it makes sense, right? You're rested. You don't have fatigue built up. And in his book, The Rise of Superman, he talks about finding that best time for you to focus. And then you've got to decide how are you going to protect that time. Now, what do I mean by protect that time? Well, you have to make an appointment with yourself, and you've got to put a big fence around it. And that means you cannot allow yourself to be interrupted with emails, phone calls, door knocks, whatever. And this is going to be the hardest thing for you to do. Hear what I just said. You cannot allow yourself to be interrupted by emails, phone calls, and door knocks. That is going to be a major paradigm shift for you. Because you go in and sit down at your desk, you go in and sit down at the kitchen table, wherever you're doing whatever you're doing, and you put your phone down face up right there, and you got your ringer on, and every time it pings, you look at it. It's a Pavlovian response. It dings, you look. It dings, you look. It dings, you look. If you do that, you are not creating a two-hour interval where you are going to be at peak efficiency because you are allowing yourself to be distracted and go do something else. How many times have you gone back to your office to sit down and do something, gone into the kitchen to get away from the TV and the kids, sit down to take on a project, and you opened your emails and 30 minutes later, you realize I've been here for a half an hour and haven't done a damn thing except answer emails. You've wasted 30 minutes. You have to prioritize tasks. And answering emails, text messages, 
things of that nature can be done at your less productive times. You don't want to spend your most productive times doing tasks that don't require near as much of your efficiency as your top priorities. Now, Alex Pang wrote a book called Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. And he observes what we have seen in the workplace for many, many years. And that is that two hours where you can really get into the problem yield solutions that are going to be better than if you spent 10 hours broken up by meetings and bouncing around with emails and phone calls. And we've seen this over and over and over again. You've got to be laser-focused for a short period of time. So there are some steps you've got to follow. Number one is to find your optimal time to work. As I say, most of you are going to find it's in the morning. And then you're going to have to protect it. And protecting it means turning off the phone, putting up the do not disturb sign, taking all the distractions away. You've got to get them away. And then you've got to give yourself the right conditions to do good work. Now, what do I mean by that? You want to work in a well-lit, uncluttered space that gives you, hopefully, fresh air, you don't have a lot of background noise. You don't have a TV going, a radio blaring. You've got a good workspace. You want a clean, uncluttered desk, fresh air, good light, plenty of room. You want to make sure that you're blocking and removing internal distractions. No social media, no news, no email. All of that stuff has got to go away. And then it's important that you choose a daily highlight. You've got to pick what deserves your attention. Now, this is so important. I have a rule, and I'm kind of a list maker, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. You should set priorities. And I'm talking about priorities for your circumstance. And I'm, if it's, we're talking about work here, then what are your work priorities? If we're talking about home, getting the home in shape, getting everything done for the kids, whatever it is, you have to list your priorities. Number one, number two, number three, number four. And if at any time you catch yourself not thinking about or working on priority number one, you should stop what you're doing and get back to priority number one. If you have not done everything you can do on priority one, why are you working on something else? Because now you're trying to multitask. Now you're refocusing. You do not want to do that. If something is important enough that you put it in the number one slot, stay with number one. If it's not that important, then don't put it in the number one slot. Something should be number one on your priority list. And here's how you should decide what goes in number one. It should be time sensitive. 
if it's evergreen, if it doesn't matter whether you do it today or three weeks from now, it shouldn't be in the number one priority slot because it's not time sensitive. It should be something that you have a passion about. If you don't care about it one way or the other, you don't care if it gets done, you don't believe that it makes a difference or matters, then it shouldn't be in the number one slot because you don't have a passion for it. You don't believe in the importance of doing it. Number three, there should be some payoff to you for doing it. There should be some change that is affected in your life or your day if it gets done. There should be some currency that you harvest by doing that. So if something gets into the number one priority slot, it should be time-sensitive, should be something you're passionate about, something that you reap a reward for when you get it done. And if it doesn't fit those criteria, it should not be in the number one slot. The next important thing is you have to listen to your body, not the clock on the wall. Now, here's what I mean by that. How many times have you ever sat down and started to read something that you really needed to read, and because you got still, you just couldn't keep your eyes open? You get like two-thirds of the way down the page, and you're just fighting it. You just can't stay awake. Well, your brain's telling you that you need to take a rest you are a whole lot better off if you will take a five-minute power nap and then start over than if you fight that for two hours. You've probably just had a shift of energy where you were racing around, now you settle down for a minute, and so your jets are just cooling and your body wants to go to sleep for a minute. That's okay. Don't fight it. Let it happen. But then wake up, even if you have to set your alarm on your watch, wake up after five minutes and then get into what you're doing. Your body will naturally crave breaks. Research has told us that two hours is the maximum time that we can work at peak efficiency before we take a break. We're really going to be at peak efficiency if we work in stretches of 25 minutes followed by a five-minute break. There's a sleep researcher by the name of Nathaniel Kleitman who says that our minds naturally crave breaks about every 90 minutes of intense work. Everybody's a little bit different, but listen to your body. If you start to feel a little fatigued, get up. Take a break. Go outside for 10 minutes. Go walk for 10 minutes. Go do something to shake it off. Maybe you're someone that needs to do that every 25 or 30 minutes. Take a five-minute break. But you string four or five of those in a row, and you've gotten yourself a very productive window. But listen to your body. There's been a lot of research about whether factories should have two shifts Or they should let the first shift roll into a second shift and just work 16 hours instead of an eight-hour shift and bring in a second shift. The hope was they could just let that first shift work overtime because they would save benefits 
They wouldn't have to do a 38% benefits package for the second shift. So they would just keep that first shift rolling. But what they found was that mistakes went up in the second eight hours because fatigue set in. So it's very clear they were way, way better off by bringing in fresh people that were not fatigued. Now, if you really want to do what I'm talking about here, and I mean really increase your productivity, then you have to bend the rest of your day around this productivity window. Jory McKay wrote an article with Rescue Time, and he talks about the fact that you start with your productivity window and you build everything else around it. The lesser important things have to take second position. And I believe very much in the PREMAC principle. The PREMAC principle says we do less desirable behaviors in order to get access to more desirable behaviors. Now, What's a real-world example of that? I mean, don't you tell your kids you got to eat your vegetables before you get your dessert? Eat your peas before you eat your cookie. That's how you get them to eat their peas, which are healthy. That's how you get them to eat their spinach or their green beans. If not, they would fill up on cookies and candy and never get their healthy vegetables. So you say, look, you got to do this before you get that. You have to do your homework before you can watch The Simpsons. So no homework, no Simpsons. You have to do the less desirable behavior, homework, before you get access to the more desirable behavior, The Simpsons. So if you want to be 500% more efficient than you were in 2019, then you've got to do what I'm talking about. You have got to set an optimal time for you to have a two-hour window to work and protect it at all costs. No distractions, no interruptions. Set up a priority. Have a good workspace. Prioritize what's important. Focus on listening to your body and bend the rest of your day around everything that you've put inside that window. When you get in the habit of doing that, instead of this running around like a chicken with your head cut off, multitasking, do this, do that, ask this, do that, call them, do this, I promise you, your productivity is going to go way, way up. The worst thing you can do is confuse activity with productivity. You can get to the end of the day and say, oh my God, I was busy today. What'd you get done? Oh, just a ton of stuff. Really? Make a list. And if you hadn't got much to write on the list, then you've just been running around in circles and confusing activity with actual productivity. Completed projects. I'm talking about how to be efficient, how to prioritize and get done what you need to get done. People that study human functioning, people that study human efficiency, understand what I'm talking about. If you take this human functioning science 
and apply it to what we're talking about with regard to New Year's resolutions, then you're going to become one of the eight percenters. You're going to become one of the eight percent that makes a resolution which has a goal, programs their environment to achieve it, and sustains their pursuit of the goal, where 92% of the people fail at doing it. What an edge that gives you moving into the new year. What an edge that gives you. Now there's a whole lot more to it. There's a whole lot more to how to make that resolution really attainable and really worth attaining. And that's what we're going to talk about in part two, how to set up a resolution, how to set up a goal and create the environment and the formula for achieving it. This is a goals acquisition technology that I have taught in industry before that was absolutely life-changing for the people who took that training. Absolutely life-changing. And I'm going to give it to you in part two of New Year's Resolutions. We'll talk next week. The holidays are about peace on earth, and here's a reminder from Robin. Be sure to create some special space for yourself and pamper your skin during this hectic time of year with Peace Out, I'm Done. Robin's Micelle Cleansing Toner. This soothing rose-infused mist will come your way with its own supply of cotton pads, so just a spray and a swipe will leave your skin super clean, balanced, and hydrated. Gets rid of every last speck of that glamorous holiday makeup, not to mention excess oil and dirt that can clog your pores. Use Peace Out I'm Done after a marathon at the mall when there just isn't time to wash your face. It's also great right after a workout, after a long flight, or a long night of partying. Get your Micelle Cleansing Toner and everything else you need for healthy holiday skin at RobinMcGrawRevelation.com.